0: It's good to be here with you guys, uh, home church, and it's been a long time since I've been here. Some of you are like, why is the guy sitting down when we're singing? You didn't, A lot of you didn't see me, but I had the last time I preached um, was in August. It was uh, the Sunday after a Friday foot surgery, and uh, I, I was on a stool up here, and since that time I've had another foot surgery in December to correct the first one, and, and uh, that was at Duke, and I'm struggling still. So I have only so many steps and only so much time I can stand on it, so... Um, that's why I was seated. Um, and it, it, by the way, we sang "Who Can Stand?" You know, before the Lord. And I don't know why you guys are all standing, but because we can't. I'm just kidding. So, not really. Um, so we're in Psalm 40, and I, I'm glad to, to give a Mother's Day message. And it's a it's a Mother's Day message in so much as it's Mother's Day, and there's going to be a message, and that's kind of that's kind of it. Uh, I hope that it hits all mothers and those who would like to be mothers and those who are not able to be mothers and those of you who have been mothered, that means everybody, right? So I hope it hits you, but uh, Psalm 40, uh, verses 1 through 10 is all we'll have time to get through, and it'll, it's not don't, don't think you're going to run out of here quickly, I'm sorry about that, I know some of you want to get to Mother's Day lunch, it might have to be Mother's Day dinner, but it's not going to be crazy long, just, uh, you know, not 20 minutes or something like that, <clears throat> so I know you're not used to 20-minute messages anyway, so that's okay. I want to read Psalm 40. I'm going to read the first uh, four verses. Uh, we're going to go through ten, but I want to start by going through the first. It says this: I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will. Uh, uh, many will see and fear and will put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Well, um, in the Psalms, it's really a book of the Bible that uh, is a book of songs. It's their hymnal in the Old Testament and and even in the New Testament, but it was the hymnal of the day. And in, in that hymnal, they had a song for all types of seasons, all the seasons. A song for all seasons is really what the The Psalms are. The Psalms reflect uh, about every imaginable um, thought and feeling and experience. And um, those of you who are more seasoned uh, will have gone through more of the seasons of life, right? That's what it means. So those of you who are more seasoned and have gone through the ups and downs and the hardships and the joys and uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, you're going to long for the Psalms and love them more than other people. But I want to encourage those of you who may not have gone through all those things quite so much to don't wait to study the Psalms. Don't wait to run to it because it's not only good for when you're in the, in the pits of destruction, but it's good to prepare you for the seasons of life that will be coming, so run to it. The Psalms gives us a, a, a practical, uh, a, a practical um, terminology, if you would, and a practical vocabulary that equips us Uh, To be able to speak of our situations, whether they're joyful or whether they're life in the pits and really tough, it gives us the vocabulary around which to to speak of those things and to pray and to call out to the Lord. Now, most often, uh, we read the Bible in a a pretty disconnected way. Some of you, uh, your Bible reading is like I open it up and kind of flip until and kind of point and read a scripture, right? Like, oh, okay. Now, uh, but we often read in a pretty disconnected way. Here's a couple of examples. A lot more often you'll find preaching on New Testament rather than the Old Testament. Now, thankfully, this church has not got a lot of these issues, but uh, as Christians, we, we, we have these problems. We would rather have New Testament than Old Testament, so much so that some churches say we're a New Testament church, uh, and like they're thinking that's a good thing. We're, here, you're a whole Bible church, right? You're a both Testament churches. thankfully. Uh, we also like to, to read the Gospels more than we, we like to read the heavier theology a lot of times. Uh, we like to skip the harder truths that we really can't get at. To, uh, and we pick and choose the verses and chapters that seem, you know, applicable to us. Wow, those the verses that we cling to. Well, we, we do the same thing with the Psalms. We, we, we do the same thing with the Psalms. And we might think a psalm a day keeps Satan away, right? I don't know what you, you think. But a lot of people I know when I was, uh, I still do this sometimes. I'll read Psalm 1, and then I'll flip over to Psalm 30, and then I'll flip over to Psalm 60, and then I'll flip over to Psalm 90. How many people have ever done that, that way of reading the Psalms, every 30? Okay, hmm. So I see that this is, you're connecting with me really well. Okay, Um, that didn't supposed to happen, but since it did, my my very first sermon was preached from right here. Remember, how many people were here for my very first sermon? You don't know. And I had water, and and it was a wooden uh, pulpit. And... um, and it started leaking kind of all over the place because we spilt it in the pulpit. And I wasn't talking about living water or anything. and It just kind of happened. Hopefully that won't happen again, but it might. So, uh, so even in the Psalms, we kind of mess that idea. And, and what we miss, when we read the Bible very disconnected, we, we miss, the, we miss the, the unity of Scripture. We miss, we miss the parts that go together and that are meant to go together. We miss the power uh, of, of the Word. And, and the Psalms even have a structure and so when we read Psalm, you know, 1, and then we're like, ah, today I'll read 19. And today I'm feeling like I got all day long. I'm going to read Psalm 119. I don't know if you've ever done that in, in one setting. It's 176 verses. Uh, so but the Psalms, a lot of times they have a structure, depending on where in the Psalms they, the structure is a developing story or it's thematically similar together. And so if you only read one Psalm at a time, they're not always standalone. Matter of fact, there's lots of the Psalms that are meant to be read as a group. And uh, Psalm 37 through 40 is such a section in the Psalms. We're in Psalm uh, 40, verses 1 through 10, but we, we couldn't understand it if we, were, if we didn't go back to Psalm 37. And in Psalm 37, uh, the, it talks about the importance of waiting on the Lord. And in Psalm 37, you get commandments like this. Wait on the Lord. Trust the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. And the Lord wait patiently for him. Uh, then, verses, and then chapters 38 and 39, uh, David, who is the writer of these particular Psalms, uh, he, he's, he's being challenged to wait on the Lord in the most difficult circumstances. And in chapters 38 and, and 39, he, he has these difficulties from within, and, and his sins, and his thoughts, and his temptations, and he has the temptations from without, um, and, and from his enemies, and even from his friends. And, uh, and, and his own family. And, and so we have uh, this this coming up, like, wait on the Lord, and then he gives this two chapters of, like, even in these cir- circumstances and situations, wait on the Lord. And then at the first of chapter 40, we just read that, is, the, is David's testimony that he's waited for the Lord and he's cried out for the Lord uh, to help him in these most difficult circumstances. And the Lord inclined himself to hear and he helped. And at least for the first portion of chapter 40, there was like a reprieve. The gloom of, uh, of darkness in David's life is lifted. And, and for a moment, there's triumphant outcome that God delivered him from the pits of destruction and from the miry clay. Well, uh, today we're going to be in the first 10 verses. And uh, it's really a joyful praise to the Lord. Uh, it's where we're going to end up. A joyful praise to the Lord who's come to our rescue. And here's the title. Uh, I want to read the title that I gave it. I think it's kind of uh, tells where we're going with it. It's like how the wearying dark circumstances of life, how the wearying dark circumstances of life, can be transformed into the life-giving songs of praise. How the darkness of our life can be transformed by the Lord in this help into the life-giving songs of praise. And then I titled it, and this is for uh, Jonathan Wisdom and for the whole team. Uh, I titled the whole thing From Mire to Choir. Now, what I mean by that, it says that he was stuck in a miry bog, miry clay. And then at the end, he's sang praises to the Lord, so much so that the people joined him. And so today, Jonathan's asking if anybody wants to join the choir, see him, you know, after this. From Mire to Choir. Before we go further into it, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that's opened before us. We thank you for the passage that by your providence we're in today. Father, I pray that whatever circumstances we come with, whether it's the circumstances of not being in a Mari Bog at the moment, or whether it's in the circumstances of the Mari Bogs that our sin has created, or whether it's the circumstances of a Mari Bog that our circumstances have created, or if it's a Mari Bog uh, that's caused by the affliction of our enemies, Father, whatever Mari Bogs we're in, or Whatever solid ground we're on today, we pray that you would open our ears, that we could hear and obey your word, that we would see that our help and our hope is not in ourselves to climb out of the pit, but our help and hope is in the Lord, that we can see whether we're in the pit or not. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, I told you the progression of chapters 37 through 40 a little bit. I want to show just a couple of examples of that to kind of bring us up to speed. In Psalm 37, I'm going to read a few verses, they're going to be on the screen, Here's some of the commands. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's hard to do, resting in him and wait patiently for him. Uh, But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. And so we ask the question, uh, why do we wait for the Lord? So that our feet won't slip. He says that in verse 31 of the same chapter. The law of God is in his heart; his steps do not slip. Uh, so, what he's saying is like, wait on the Lord and rest on Him, so that in the in the problems of life, that your feet won't slip, and you turn away from the Lord. But then, chapter thirty-eight, kind of tough. It, it, it says this: For I said, May they not rejoice over me, who, when my foot slips, would magnify themselves against me? For I am ready to fall. And my sorrow is continually before me, for I confess my iniquity or my sin. I am full of anxiety because of my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. And so we see in chapter 37, it's like, wait on the Lord, commit your ways to the Lord, rest in the Lord, look to him, wait patiently for him so that you don't slip when things are bad. But guess what? Things get bad, and we turn our eyes from him, and we slip. And our foot slips, and It slips from all types of reasons, and we end up in the pits. We slip right into a pit. We're going to be talking about a lot of pits today. Uh, But the pits that he talks about, even in that little section we read, they're pits that are caused by his own sin and his own temptation. They're pits that are caused by being anxious and worrying about all the things that is going on. It says that there's pits that we fall into because of our enemies without and because of our sins within. And it even says in chapter 38 that even our friends And our family and our loved ones stand apart and aloof from us. We all have times that we look around and we slip. Chapter 39. uh, And now, Lord, what do I wait? My hope is in you. So David's like, man, he starts to preach to himself, I'm hoping in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me. Because of the oppression of your hand, I am perishing. With reproofs you uh, you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give air to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. And the amazing truth is that uh, David cries out to the Lord in the midst of his miry bog in the pit of destruction, and, and he says, listen to me and hear my prayers. Don't be silent. Come to my aid. And the amazing truth in the first few verses of chapter 40 is God did that. God inclined his ear to David, and it reminded me of uh, something that I heard a long time ago and something that you hear all the time when we read it, but we don't grasp and think about it much. Is, you know, God takes the name of his people. We read a and the scripture is that he's the God of what? Abraham. And he's the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Jacob. And he's the God of David. He's the God of John. He's the God of Joe. He, he's the God of you if you're his. And that's what God is doing here is he's listening to his children cry out. and he's like, I'm your God. And he listens and he inclines himself to them. A, a, amazing thing. So let's look at uh, David's testimony in the first three verses and know that he's gone through all kinds of pits. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. I mean, that's a, we could stop and just preach that, and that would be plenty for the day. Um, but I, I got more, so that's okay. And he brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and the other versions on miry bog, and he set my feet, up, foot upon, feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see it, and they'll trust in the Lord. Well, the waiting that David was doing here is not a passive waiting. You know, it's not like me uh, sitting at Starbucks waiting for one of my students to come. It's not like, uh, like twiddling my thumbs, what am I gonna do? It would be more like I'm waiting for one of my students to come and we're gonna be engaging in conversation around the book and so I'm waiting and I'm digging into that book and I'm reading it and preparing and getting excited about them coming and having the dialogue and discussion. The waiting that David is doing is not a passive waiting. But it's a waiting on the Lord because he knows he's coming. Because he knows that he's going to incline His himself to, to David and, and listen to him. When David cried out. So it's a waiting and it's hoping and it's, it's holding on. He, he inclined to me uh, and to his people and he heard he's the God of John and Joe and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's your God and he's my God too. Now what was the problem? What, what was David waiting for? What, w- what was the thing he w- was crying out for deliverance for? What was he... What was he asking? What was his situation? What was his, uh, what was his pit? Well, all we get in, in this particular psalm is, is a metaphor that his pit was bad, that his pit was the pit of destruction, that his pit and his dark places was a miry clay and a, a miry bog. Uh, we, we, don't, we, we don't get the details of it, and, and I think there's two things that we need to get from that. Uh, the first thing is this, that the trouble that David was in and the darkness that he was in, was significant. It was a miry bog. You know, It was a miry pit. It was a pit of destruction. It, it wasn't something small. It, 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 was, it was something that colored his whole outlook on life. And he was struggling. He was in a, a miry pit, a pit that we couldn't get out of, a pit that he needed God's help for. So the first thing we get is the idea that we're helpless to get out uh, of such a pit. Um, but the second thing is this. Uh, we, we get the idea that David didn't give us the details of what pit he was in. It could have been any of the things that we read in chapters 37 through 39. It could have been a pit of his own making because of his sin and his suffering, and, uh, or, or his suffering. Or it could be a, a pit because of his temptations that he fell into and gave gave into. It, it could have been a pit because his loved ones were not with him at the moment and kind of standing aloof and not coming to his aid and to his rescue and to his help. It might have been a, a pit because of the circumstances that God had given. Maybe he was running for his life from Saul at the moment. You know, who knows uh, why and what pit it was, but it was a pit of destruction. It was a miry bog. It was a, it was a place that he was stuck in, and he couldn't get out of. Now imagine if God had told us exactly what his pit was. What, what if we were running from uh, Saul and, uh, for his life at the moment? Well, if that were true and you guys read Psalm 40 and at the moment your family wasn't coming after you with, you know, trying to take your life, you might not identify with the pits. I think it's by God's grace that what we have here is in chapters 37 through 39, God lists all types of reasons we slip and fall into a pit. And he lists all kinds of pits that we fall into. And in chapter 40, when he delivers David from the pit, he doesn't tell you which pit it was. And that's, like, that's by God's grace, because what he's saying is like, and he even says it in the text, and we'll get to it, that any of you who call on the Lord from whatever pit you're in, whatever pit you're, you're in, God can deliver you. Now, in this particular case, God delivered David from the pit. He, he took him out of the pit of mire clay and he set his feet on a rock and, and, and he caused his feet to have a firm foundations. But that's not always the way God delivered David. In Psalm chapter 8, David is wondering, like, who am I that you're mindful of me? He was in a pit of despair and identity crisis. And, and God didn't just say, well, you're the best thing going. But what he does is he teaches him some things and through the teaching of uh, of the truths. He kind of delivers David from that moment. But I want us to turn to another place in the New Testament where Paul is in a pit. He has a thorn in the flesh. Second uh, Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, says this, and it'll be up on the screen. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, and this is important, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me, all right? Miry clay, miry bog, it tormented Paul. It wasn't some little little thing. Okay, the water will stay there. It's unopened. It'll be okay. Um, And then he goes on and says, "'Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times "'that it might leave me, and he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for power is perfected in weakness. "'Most gladly, therefore, "'I would rather boast about my weaknesses.' So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What we get here is there's lots of ways that God takes us out of the miry clay or the miry bog, lots of different ways. One, One way he does is he delivers us from it, he takes us out of that circumstance and out of that situation, out of the clay out of the mire bogs. That's what he did for David in Psalm 40. But what he did for Paul in Second Corinthians 12, he delivered him a whole different way. He delivered him from his mire bog by giving him the grace to endure and stand firm within the mire bog. He delivers us either way out of the pit. Sometimes he takes us out of the pit itself. Sometimes he puts our feet on a solid ground while we endure by giving us the grace to bear it. He graces us. Life is the pits. yeah. All sorts of pits, right? It's one pit one day, and then it's another pit another day, and another pit a different day. And God can deliver you from pits, and he will. He'll either deliver you by taking you out of them, or he'll deliver you by giving you the grace to bear with them and bear through them. What a good redeemer that we have. Now, if you haven't been through the pits and you're not in a pit right now, it's probably because uh, you're really, really young and you had not had enough seasons of life to go through the pits. Or it's very rare, uh, or it's both. But most of us, I uh, go through a lot of different pits. And the pits and the testimony of God's working in the pits, it's, it's what expands our horizon and, and helps us to understand that God is at work. It helps us to understand what is God doing, and, and it helps us to praise him in the times of joy, and it helps us to praise him in the storms, and it helps us to praise him when our feet are almost slipping And it helps us to praise him when our feet are secure on the rock of our salvation. Here's an important thing about pits. Our greatest hope is not to be delivered out of a pit. We need to get that. Because I think that most of us pray, me too, that our greatest hope, will he deliver me out of the pit? Our greatest hope is not for all our pits to be removed. It's a whole lot more than that. God uses the pits. And he uses the pits... Uh, I, I, while we're in them is at work in the pits to grant us a whole lot more than life without the pits. It's to grant us abundant life with Jesus Christ, whether we're in the pit or remain in the pit or whether God takes us out of the pit. God gave David, it says in the text, a new song. He gave him a song for a new season of life. Um, and he lifted uh, his eyes to the rock and, and so much so that it says that David... Other people saw God's work of deliverance, and, and they started praising the Lord too. Um, so whether you're being delivered from a pit because of God giving you grace to endure it, or whether you're being delivered from a pit because God's taken you out of it, it's not just a pit for yourself, it's a pit for the whole world to see. We see that because it says in the, in the text, many will fear, and they will see, and they will put their trust in God. Many will see that God delivers David, by taking him out of the pit, many will see that God delivered Paul by giving him the grace to endure it, and because we see that, we rejoice, and it changes my song, and it changes your song, and we put our trust in the Lord. David's focus was about his deliverance was more than from himself. His, his response flowed to the praise to God and the testimony to other people. Now, verses four and five. David's testimony, uh, rightly understood, becomes your testimony. David's testimony becomes your hope and my hope when we're in the pits. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, our God, are the wonders which you've done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be uh, too numerous to count. Now, verses 4 and 5 come right after verse 3. That's kind of amazing. Isn't that right? Um, I went to Clemson. That's how I know that. Right, Ben? (laughs) Uh, So verse 3 says, many will see and fear and they will make the Lord uh, their trust. And then it says, how blessed is the man who does that. So what David has done is he's given a testimony of his pits and he hadn't told you which one specifically. And the, the testimony wasn't of his pits, it was the God who delivered him from his pits so that you could see God's working even in the pits of David's life and in the pits of your own life and that you could be awakened to see and fear and put your trust in the Lord. David takes the specific testimony and shows that it's universal for all people at all times through whatever pit they're in. If you look to him, put your trust to him, wait on him, cry out to him, he will incline himself to his people and he will bless you, approve you and he'll either deliver you by taking you out of the pit or by gracing you in the pit. So the command is what? The commands of chapter 37 is the commands of this, is rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him, whether you're in a pit uh, that's this deep or this deep or over your head. Um, The command is wait on the Lord, but what's the context? Wait on the Lord in the pits of life. The context is in the difficulties. The context is in the despair. The context is in the darkness. The context is in, in the pits, in the miry pit of destruction. In that context... Look to the Lord for your hope. In that context, wait patiently for him. And, and it says, make the Lord your trust and don't turn to those who would lapse into falsehood. And, and what we get here is don't turn to the, all the other voices. We, we get into all kinds of uh, depressions and discouragements and, and situations and we go to people and we go to enough people that we want to go to the person who, who gives us the counsel that we want to hear. I just can't believe they did that to you. You know, I can't believe your own family would do that. I can't believe your own friends would do that. I can't believe that you're in such, you didn't deserve this pit. Well, what David says is don't get to people like that. Turn to the Lord. And what we get in there is um, you either trust the Lord or you run to idols. There's nothing in between. If you don't trust the Lord in the pits, we, we, we run to idols. Now, an idol might simply be an idol that if I get out of this pit, that's, that's my only hope. That's my greatest hope. That's an idol because uh, God uses the pits to craft and to do and and to make. Um, Verse 5 says, many are the wonders which you've done. What? So the context of us resting in the Lord is resting while we're and hoping while we're in the pits. The context of the wonders that that he does is also the pits. So here's David in the pits and he says, how great and marvelous are your works, God. How great and marvelous are your ways. How great and marvelous are the circumstances that you bring into my life in the context of the deepest, darkest pits that you and I have it says to trust the Lord and, and uh, his wonders are there. Now think about that. In, in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, God graced them by providing manna, but they still had the hardship, hardships of the wilderness. They still had to go through the hardships of the wilderness even though they were graced with manna. Here, here's what... God's wonders are and the situations that you and I are in, you've heard this before, but we need to hear it again and again and again. Uh, The truth of God's word is this, that he never brings an unnecessary pit. God never gives you an unnecessary trial. God never gives you an unnecessary circumstance. God never brings anything in your life or my life that's not necessary to accomplish his plan and his work, nothing. You don't have anything that you didn't need. On the other hand, too, he never withholds any blessing that you or I need, never. Our God is good. He never withholds something for you and for his children that, that we need, not to accomplish his purpose and his plan. If we start, and we need to, you know, you can, we can say that to, right now. And this afternoon when I start thinking about my, my daughter who just had surgery and my foot and my mom not being with me today, I, you know, I can get in the pits really, really quickly. And I can think, oh, God, if my, my mom were just here, if my daughter were just well, if my foot could just run, all would be well. And that's, that's a lie. Um, it's, in, it's in the pits and, and in the context of that, that that God graces us or delivers us. Many and varied are his goodnesses and his wonders. And even the pit that you're in and the pit that I'm in, or the pits that you're in and the pits that I'm in, they're designed for our growth and for our good. Um, when it's hard to see the goodness of God... We need to remind one another that God's at work. We need to look to the testimonies of Paul and David and the testimonies of God working in your life in previous years because you might not understand the immediate thing you're going through. Uh, But we need to to be moved from that, to see the goodness of God and to know his ways are always good. So David mentions that God's thoughts toward us are too numerous to count. And uh, the the psalmist uh, in, in Psalm 139 says the same thing. We'll look there. His, his thoughts toward us and his wondrous deeds go together. For you, and this is verses 13 through 17. It's on the screen as well. Psalm 139, 13 through 17. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. For your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. And then he goes on to say, if we would count them, the thoughts and the wonders toward us, they outnumber the grains of sand. It's you go to the beach this summer, pick up a scoop of sand in your hand and count all the grains, right? And, you know, he's talking about all the grains of all the sand in all the world. His thoughts t- toward you and toward me, and his goodness is amazing. But he says, how precious are your thoughts toward us. Um, and, uh, and then he says he's ordered every single one of our days before there was ever yet one of them. Every single pit, every single slip, every single day that you fall into one, uh, God has ordered it and ordained it so. Um, when we, uh, how many of you guys have ever been to a Color Me run, like a Color Me rad run? Has anybody been to a color me run anybody there's there's a few of you there's more and more raising your hand you can interact it's okay david ask you questions and you ask and answer yeah the color me run let me read from the color me rad uh website it says this after 5k of color bombardment we guarantee your outlook will be brighter your boyfriend will be more affectionate your girlfriend will be less needy the hair on your head will grow back and the hair on your back will fall out your black-and-white TV will turn into 720 HD. I know you were hoping for a lot more, but we're race organizers, not miracle workers. And your gray outlook will turn green like a spring morning. Well, what happens is we get into pits and in the darknesses. That pit colors our whole world, right? Just like the Color Me Rad when you finish running it, you're all different colors. Well, when we come out at the end of the, uh, the pit, then our, our view has expanded a little bit, and we start seeing... Uh, a little bit more of the colors and not so much of the darknesses. Now we begin to see that, oh man, God, you really were at work during that time. You really were at work in that hardship. Uh, You really were at work, not just in my life, but my families and those around me that saw what you did and how you gave me the grace in it or pulled me out of it. Um, In order to understand more about our helplessness and not able to climb out of the pit ourselves, and in order for us to understand clearly that he delivers us by, by, by his grace and his mercy. Uh, he, the, the psalmist goes on, verses 6-8. through eight. He says this, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. I want to leave that text up, just leave that up the whole time for the next few minutes. What is our response to be to such a good God? What does he require? Well, it says here that it's not enough just to offer our sacrifices. What would that mean today? That's certainly, you guys didn't come early and sacrifice a bull or a goat or a turtle dove or something out front. No, but the sacrifices that he's talking about is kind of playing the religious game and loving him with our lips and not with our hearts. It's ritualistic Christianity, and I I think we we even see it in the songs that we sing. Um, You are my all in all. I will give you all my worship, and then we don't. So the songs that we sing often should be prayers of our heart, rather than a statement of what we do. Um, To say that I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, is not the truth. And so when we tell you, I love you with all I am, I give you all my worship, I give you all my praise, I give you all my life, that's a a sacrifice that's not going to get us far because we we don't really do that. It's a good prayer. So uh, there are a couple of things in this this couple of verses. It's really deep and we don't have near enough time to get into the depth of them. But to see the beauty and the fullness of Scripture, I want to look at a couple of things. It says that sacrifice and meal offerings you've not desired. I, I don't want lip service. I want your whole life. And then he says, my ears you've opened. And the actual things, the actual uh, Hebrew here is, my ears you've dug out. Or my ears you've pierced. And you're like, hmm, okay, I'm going to get a pierced ear. Uh, but what he's saying is this. David's saying, uh, you've opened my ears to hear your word. And, and um, you can note this, I don't have this on screen, so just put this down for later. In Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6, uh, this will be great for you guys to read as background. It says when a slave came in to serve another master, he would have his ear pierced and they would take his ear and they would put it against the doorway of the master's house and they would pierce it using the doorway. And what that indicated is it spoke of, I'm totally submissive and committed to my new master. And what, that's exactly what he's saying, David, I want you to Because of the pits and and seeing your helplessness and yet turning your ear, uh, calling out to me and me turning my ear to you, I want you, David, to see and to give your life and to be totally submissive and say, I want to hear you. I want to listen to your word and I want to obey it. Um, Total submission. Now we see the same idea in Isaiah 50. This is, uh, you can go ahead to the screen and then we can pull it back to that one. Isaiah 50 verses uh, 4 through 7, you'll hear it again. He awakens my morning, me, me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The same idea. He he opens my ear. He awakens my ear. It's the same Hebrew. The Lord uh, God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who would pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and from spitting for the Lord God has helped me, therefore I am not disgraced. Uh, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. In Psalm 40, God is saying, David, open your ears to listen to my goodness and my word and my help and my hope, and would you obey me? In Isaiah, he, he looks to the prophet, and he's like, Isaiah, I want you to listen to, to my words, and I want you to obey me. And, Yet both of these truths speak to something much greater and uh, David's call to listen and Isaiah's call to listen and to obey uh, speaks to a greater listener and a greater doer and one who was uh, costlier obedience. One who gave his back to be scourged. One who gave his beard to be plucked out. One who gave his face to be sped upon. And one who set his face like a flint to obey the Father's will. And by the way, all the things I just said are in the text of Isaiah. But they point us to the text of Hebrews 10, 1-10. A long text, but it's going to be on the board or on the screen, so let's read it together. Hebrews 10, 1-10. For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come... And not the form of the things can never by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having been once been cleansed, would no longer have the consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, and This is an exact quote of our passage from Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come, in the scroll of the book it is written, to do your will, O God. After saying the above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you've not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first and in order to establish the second. By this will, we have, been, uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, uh, let's go back one slide to the first part of that, right? There. Uh, It says, sacrifice an offering you have not desired. And then the next phrase, it's translated a little differently than the Old Testament. It says, but a body you have prepared for me. And in the Old Testament, it says, you've you've pierced my ears. I want to try to help you get that this is the same thing. In in the Old Testament, it says, my ears you pierced, meaning now I'm going to be yours. I'm going to live total submission to you. My body is for you. I'm going to live in obedience for you. It's the same exact thing. So when he says, open your ears, what he means is open and hear and now be totally sold out and committed to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one who listened to the Father. Jesus is the one who set his face like a flint to do the Father's will, even though it was costly. Our sacrifices will never do. They were just types, that there was a greater sacrifice that was needed to rescue us out of our pit of sin and despair and separation. They pointed our sins and, and the sacrifices of the Old Testament to cover them, pointing to the one who would fully hear and fully obey and would give his back to be scourged, his beard to be plucked out, his face to be spit upon. And he said in all this he wasn't disgraced because that's what he came to do for you and, and for me. He, he suffered... Jesus suffered the darkest and deepest and most despairing and foul miry bog so that you and I would never slip into that one. And he not only experienced that he was delivered from it, so that it shows that his payment for the consequences, that we deserve that miry bog, we'll never get it. What is our response to be to such a God, a body you've asked for me? What does that mean? It means to say, here I am, Lord. My, my only reasonable response to such a God as that. Who would incline his ear toward me in the miry pit when I deserve the miry pit? To such a God as the one who would deliver me because of his son, Jesus, falling into the greatest and darkest and most despairing and foul miry pit. The one who would rescue me by pulling me out, by taking my sins away, or by giving me grace to live within it. What is my reasonable response? Romans 12, 1. It's not on the screen because I forgot to put it there. But Romans 12 one says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of God's mercy, in light of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. Listen to this. Which is your reasonable and rational, rational service of worship. What, what is he saying? In light of all that God does and how he designs the pits and moves you out of the pits and doesn't give you the consequences of the darkest pit, in light of all that, your reasonable service is that he's asking for you. He's asking for your ears to be pierced, to be totally submissive, and to hear his word and to obey the good God. Now, verses 9 and 10 show something else. It's like uh, our response to such a goodness of God is not just for us, but it's, it's the way we evangelize the world. Verses 9 and 10. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Now, if we had time, we would go and we would show that this is primarily talking about Jesus. That he sings in the congregation when you and I are singing. God, Jesus Christ is here present And he sings along with you the hymns that we sing. He's worshiping. I could show you that in Hebrews. We don't have time to go there. But here's what David, David shows his response. And he uses a a kind of a a figure of speech. And and he says, he he denies the negative to show the positive. Let me explain. He says, behold, I will not restrain my lips, but I will praise you. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I'm going to live out your righteousness. I have not concealed your loving kindness I'm going to show it to others. I have not concealed your truth. I'm going to proclaim it. You know, how much does the Lord Jesus color your life? How much does his design, his help, and his hope, his sacrifice, you know, how much does he color your life? We think about our lives colored by the circumstances of our life. We think about that our lives are colored by the pits, but God says that, no, the life's not colored by the pits. God says, I'm using the pits to color your life differently. I'm using your, the pits to color your life of a life of grace and mercy, intimate relationship with me. Well, I heard a story of a man who, in one day, through a several terrible incidents, lost every one of his kids. And it was such that the same incidents wiped out his business. And amazingly so, uh, a very short time later, the man developed a horrible health problem and a terrible skin disease. And in all this, Job did not sin. And he, he didn't curse God in the deepest pit. It, uh, sorry. <clears throat> Think about my daughter and all that good stuff and all that that was just as reasonable rational response to such a good God let me try to pray father we thank you for the pits you designed them well for us father not to deliver us from the pits a whole lot greater reason to make us more like Christ to make us long for you more to give us ears to hear your word and to long to do your will Father we thank you that you can deliver us from the pits many ways you can deliver us by pulling us out of them by healing diseases by giving kids and children but Father you can also heal and help by giving us the grace to endure it And, Father, both those things come because the Lord Jesus Christ has taken the pit of pits and he's conquered it, that we would never have to endure it. And, Father, as we move to your table and partake of it, we thank you that you've offered to us hope, help, in our greatest pits, our greatest time of need. And so, Father, I pray today, whatever the pits that each of us are in, Father, that we would see the goodness of your provisions in Jesus. And that would be enough. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.